Hello, and welcome to Everything Acting Podcast and IROS app, because I will be posting this for my peoples in IROS. Um, so I am here with the actress extraordinaire, Sharon Washington, and I met Sharon Washington when I was a student at Yale. She was a third year and I was a first year. That's right. So she will forever be a third year to me. And she will forever be my little sister. Aw. So Sharon, <laughs> first let's let's let the audience know who you are. Um, how do you uh, define what you do? So I meet you and I go, hey, Sharon Washington. Like, so Sharon, what do you do? I'm an actor. That's what I do. She keeps it simple. I keep it simple. Yes, I do. I mean, I think, um, and I do like, I know some people find that a little pretentious. Oh, you're an actor. You're not an actress. And I just think it. I'm an actor. That's what I do. I act. So mm -hmm. that's it is. It's pretty simple, pretty basic. Now, tell us how you got to become an actor. What was your journey to becoming an actor? What was my journey? I guess, um, I think it's something that I always wanted to do. I think, um, I mean, I remember back to church plays and, you know, they'd give you little pieces of paper to go home and memorize. And I always wanted to have the little piece of paper that had the most words on it. Oh. So when, <laughs> when I found out and my parents found out I was good at it, we always hoped that I would get like the big piece during the Easter pageant or the Christmas pageant. And I usually did because I was a bit of a show off and I was good. Um, <laughs> so I think that the seed started there. Mm -hmm. And and where were you just so we can in New York City? Oh, you grew up in New York. Born and raised in New York City. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up on the Upper West Side uh, back mm -hmm. when the Upper West Side was really a neighborhood where there were, it was really the New York, I mean, I'm not 9,000 years old, but it was back in the day when it really was a neighborhood and it wasn't, it was kind of still being gentrified and ethnic groups. And I, I ate a lot of different foods and I, I just ran into a lot of different types of people. And I think that also, that's where I got my ear for accents actually. Oh my gosh. Let me just give a visual because this is an audio podcast. Sharon Washington is a bit like a black Audrey Hepburn. She's very elegant, delicate, and she seems refined. <laughs> it seems like she grew up like in another time because you're so, you know, oh, put together. You. And um, to hear that you're from New York. <laughs> yes, I'm from New York, and my mother had a New York accent. She talked like this. Absolutely. Really? Because my grandmother was, my grandmother, my mother's mother was raised on Mulberry Street. So that's where African Americans at the time were down on Mulberry Street with a lot of the immigrants. And then the African American population moved to 99th Street on the west side. So I, I'm New York, way back New York. Where did you get all this, because um, it seems so natural to you, this good speech and, and poise. Where did that come from? I went to private school for 10 years. In New York. So I went to Dalton. Oh. So, So yes. she went to finishing school. I did. I was, I was around people who spoke very properly. I was around, uh, I learned good English. And, you know, it's interesting, as, as black actors, as black people moving through this world, we do speak a lot of different dialects, languages, depending on who we're with. Who I, the way I speak with my family is different than the way I speak when I'm in business, which is different. And I just think that's natural. That's just the way we are. Um, and there's a whole other discussion to be had about, you know, speaking correct English and whether that's 
right or not or whether you whether you're seen in a certain way as being not hip enough because you because you don't speak sort of like you know you don't sound the way you're supposed to sound but we can sound any way we want to sound and that's who we are a lot of your casting early on was certainly in um classical plays yes and um do you think that had a lot to do with it absolutely absolutely is because i was very comfortable and that's the reason Roz and I, uh, Roz just said we went to Yale Drama School together, and that was one of the biggest reasons I went to Yale, was because I wanted to be able to go in that room and know I was as good as any, like, if you didn't want me for your Shakespeare or your Shaw or your Ibsen, it was because of something other than me not having the tools and not being able to speak the speech and not being able to do the meter and know what I'm talking about. So, um, it worked. Full stop. She answered that question, honey, because she did it. She was um, very memorable as Anne to uh, Denzel Washington's Richard III in the park. What other, um, oh, I also saw you in the public in Measure for Measure. What other uh, performances stick out for you? Um, I remember one of the first jobs I did was um, I played a character called Violet in Man and Superman down Mm -hmm. at um, Center Stage, Baltimore Center Stage. And I was so excited to get that because it was a big deal because it was seen as a great move in colorblind casting at the time. And it was Shaw and um, Stan Wojewodski, who later went on to be the dean at the drama school, was the artistic director there at the time. He directed the show. And oh. he people kept asking him, it would always come up, well, why did you choose Sharon Washington if this is a, just a bold move of colorblind casting? And Stan said, no, she came in the room and she nailed it and she was the right person for the job and it really was a validation of all of that for me it was a great thing for the theater but um so that was that was really exciting it was this sort of grand production I remember E.G. Marshall was in it it was very lavish and I got to wear all the fancy clothes that I wanted to wear that I never thought I'd be able to wear on stage and the big hats it was um and it was Shaw and it was wow so where'd you go to undergrad I went to undergrad at Dartmouth. Oh, so she went from Dartmouth to Yale. Fancy. Ivy League kind of gal. And then what happened as far as acting after you finished Yale? Um, After I finished Yale, uh, let's see. I didn't get a job right away. I went and worked uh, with my girlfriend, Gina Torres, um, answering phones at Lincoln Center Theater. (laughs) And um, which was actually really really good training because we got to see a lot of theater for free and I got to see a lot of sit in on a lot of rehearsals I also got to do a thing which I always recommend to young actors if you can is to be a reader Mm. and to be in that room and see what that room is like and see what it's like to watch other actors audition you can pick things up you can know what to do what not to do how how and just how difficult that process is just an eye into the process of what's going on in the producers directors minds i think it's just really because it's not always about your performance and and what goes on in that room so anyway sidebar but so i got to do a lot of that and then right after that i got my first actually my very first show at manhattan theater club a richard wesley play called the talented tenth which i was fired from but um that's another story. I'm in total shock. Well, on my list of questions, yes. I was going to ask about mistakes and regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, would that fall into that category? 
that would fall into the category of big learning experience. What did you learn? So tell me, let, set us up. What happened okay. and then tell us what you learned. It was my first um, big job, big audition. I um, was Manhattan Theater Club. It was Richard Wesley's new play. It was with all these, it was with Michelle Shea and Roscoe Orman and Elaine Graham and uh, just just these wonderful actors and actresses that I knew and admired. It was a big deal for me. It was Manhattan Theater Club, um, and um, I'm actually still friends with some of the people who were in the show. They were people I'd seen on stage before, these wonderful, very classic black actors, and it was this story um, that was very compelling. Anyway, long story short, I auditioned. Apparently, I blew them away in the audition. It was wonderful. I was hired. I remember the first day of rehearsal, we sat around and they were doing introductions and the director said, and we have all these wonderful veterans and I'm so excited to find Sharon Washington who was just out of the Yale School of Drama. She blew us away in the audition. She's a wonderful young actress and she went on and on and on. And by two days later, I couldn't do anything right. I was, I couldn't, and I didn't have the equipment and I'm not who I wasn't then who I am now to be able to understand in the room what was going on and mm -hmm. how to address it. And I, she just looked at me like I had two heads, and by the end of the week, I was replaced. Man. And I still, to this day, have, you know, it's still under there, that little, you know, I just know that at any moment you can be replaced. It's a terrible feeling, but it is a learning experience. I can look back on it now and go, okay, I, maybe I understand but it, it, let, it just let me know that um, it's not always in your control. So when you say you couldn't do anything right, it, was it that she was critical of you all the time or you were critical of yourself? She was critical of me all the time. Oh. I went from being, which is, a, which is difficult for me to understand. And, and you know, I, look, I take some responsibility, but I think the responsibility of the director to help me understand what I wasn't doing and what she needed from me. She was a, she was a director that came from television. So she didn't know how to communicate. She didn't know how to communicate. She didn't know how to get me to do it. And I think she was nervous that she didn't get me to do it as fast as she wanted. I was, there was a communication gap and I think she didn't, she didn't trust me or herself apparently to get me where she needed me to go by the end of that week, by four days. Wow. So it was it was very traumatizing. Wow. But it was bonding with me and these other um, older actresses who kind of took me under their wing and since then have always been there for me. And oh. remember that experience and they're like, girl, don't even worry about it. Don't even trip. It happens. Move on. I, you know, it's so funny. You, you are so poised on the outside and I don't know what's going on inside of you, obviously, because you... <laughs> have a mask as you should don't walk around with your heart on the sleeve so that's amazing I would have never guessed you had an experience like that my one my first job wow you're so resilient so what made you be able to go to the next audition be able to continue I you just do you have to I mean I I went home I cried I talked to my agents I cried some more I talked to my parents I cried some <sighs> more I just it was it was horrible it was yeah. a horrible experience but you have to get I needed a job. I wanted to work. I wanted to see what the, the next thing was. And what happened was, which really helped with the healing process um, and the confidence, was that I booked a job. I booked my first episodic job. Which, which was what? Not, which was A Man Called Hawk with Avery Brooks. Oh, I remember that show. <laughs> I liked that show. It was a big deal then. It was the Spencer for Hire spinoff, and it was like... 
again, it was one of those things where everybody was working on that show, and I booked, it was my first guest star. I mean, I was, and I would not have been able to do it had I not been fired, released from my contract. God's got you, girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So, that's, so that's the lesson in hindsight was, okay, so I was supposed to have this other job. And it also, like I said, helped confidence-wise. It was like, oh, because they think, oh, I'm fired. I'm never going to get another job. I'm mm-hmm. never going to work again. Right. There's something, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't fix it. I'm, well, and then right after that, I, I got my first job at the public, which was Coriolanus. Wow, that's so good because um, it just shows you that, you know, you don't know why things happen. You know, there's a there's part of you that doesn't know why things happen. Right. And, um, and you do have to have some faith and some trust. You have to have lots and lots of faith and trust in this business. And it doesn't get any easier. Lord knows. Okay, so how long have you now, so since from back then, yes. Talented 10, yes. and Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks. Ah! That was such a great show. It was like a crime drama. Yeah. And um, he was very, very handsome. Yes. and he was just, oof. he was big and tall and <laughs> handsome. And he had a very, a very deep voice and mm-hmm. he carried a big gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful show yeah that was a really good show okay so um how long since then how many years you've been at it since then? i will be celebrating my 25th year in show business in 2013 mm-hmm. well i count it well, i guess i got out of school in 88 so you count from when you I, graduated yeah. yeah me too so all right well congratulations uh, on you. that thank you i'm very excited i'm there you know I'm mad at 25 years. So one thing is that I um, I did speak to Coleman Domingo Mm -hmm. a couple of episodes ago, and um, and just about his show Wild with Happy. Yes, and uh, we have to paint for the audience uh, a little bit about the show Mm -hmm. and your role in it. So why don't you do that for us? Tell us about the show Wild with Happy by Coleman Domingo. Wild with Happy by Coleman Domingo is a show about Grief, loss, death, acceptance, love, the relationship with a mother and son, the relationship uh, between good friends, Mm -hmm. um, how you deal with death, how you deal with death of a loved one, what is your responsibility to that loved one, what is your responsibility to yourself, Mm -hmm. what is your responsibility to your family. Right. It deals with a lot of those issues, but it's a comedy. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, a dark comedy um, because I think Coleman started developing this uh, a while ago while we were working together on Scottsboro Boys and we found out that um, we both of our mothers had passed away oh. and both of our parents actually so mm-hmm. we we're sort of both orphans and we talked about and we would have these conversations because you can have this conversation about death and dying with someone who else someone else who has experienced it and it would turn macabre. I mean, eventually, would, yeah, girl, and you know, when I went out to pick that car, oh, I know, these co- when you go to get that coffin, it's... So we would have these mm. conversations, and they would be so bizarre, and we'd start laughing, and we'd think, people would think we were insane in here. But it's out of a lot of that that the humor comes. And I think that's what everyone finds so... Um, on point about it because it is such a bizarre everybody has to deal with it and it's such a and you're in such you're in your most heightened emotional state so everything that comes out is just at a pitch so that's what the um not to mention that you're actors and not so to mention, right. it's gonna come at it's at, gonna at be a, intense it's gonna be really intense <laughs> 
Um, and I get the opportunity to play... Um, Coleman in, in the piece played uh, the lead character, Gil, who was dealing with the death of his mother, who he adored, um, who accepted him for all... Uh, Gil is a, a gay man in his 40s who's having sort of a crisis, a life crisis. And he... But his mother accepted him for everything that he was. And... Um, he adored her and she's passed away and he's now trying to deal with her death and what to do to honor her and how burials and traditions. So I played his mother, Adelaide, but I also played his aunt, Glow, who was as accepting as his mother was. Um, aunt Glow was pretty much the opposite. Um, she was much more the traditionalist Aunt Glow. She was very loud and very opinionated and it was just a great opportunity to play two sides of a coin and two sisters. And I also get to play Cinderella. Okay, so this role was a the role of a lifetime. Yes. A tour de force. I mean, I can't even explain it. you got to have as many lines as Rosalind is as, <laughs> in As You Like It. I mean, the woman never shuts up. It's true. And because you're playing three different characters, you play different, you know... Uh, Everyone's from Philadelphia, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have some low-status characters. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> low-status characters. And from someone who is known for their <laughs> poise and sophistication, um, what was it like for you to come out of the closet that you have this side to you that is capable of... And this is... Not, I know you can do comedy, <laughs> but this was physical comedy. This was like... I mean... I have so many questions about that. First of all, did, did you have to get in shape or were you already yes. in shape? No, I had to get in shape. I was petrified because uh, Coleman and I have been working together on this for probably a year before this. He started, he finished it at Sundance in uh, 2011, in mm -hmm. April 2011. And then we did subsequent workshops at New York Theatre Workshop um, at... Um, and then at Theater Works in uh, Palo Alto, which we're there's actually going to be a production out there later this year. Are you going to be next in it? year? Uh, we have it. It's not official, but as far as I know, I think I plan on being. If there. you are anywhere near Palo Alto, California, <laughs> please you must track down this show and see these oh. actors in this show. This is incredible. So, um, so the role is very very, very physical. physical. So yes. you're on the stage almost the whole yes. time. Talking and moving, and so when as we were working on it, and and what happened is because Coleman, because your playwright is living and is in the room with you, I would do something funny and he'd put it in the play. So uh -oh. I had to stop doing things because I just thought I said you are not serious. And then Robert, our director, who was also with us from the very beginning, would then say, but now she's got to do that twice because we've got to establish that that's her pattern. So I was so it by the end of this sort of development process, I knew that if I was going to do this eight times a week, I had to go into serious training. So I did. You worked with a trainer? I worked. I got some advice from a trainer. Mm -hmm. We have a friend who's a trainer. I started I started doing some cardio. And it's all about... It was it's so much cardio about, in that show. I put on extra weight because I am, I'm on the slender side and I'm very concerned with keeping my poundage, I know, yeah. up. Yes. But so I had to put some extra weight on because I knew I just, by, just by doing the role, I was going to lose five eight pounds yeah. just doing it so I just had to make sure before I went in that I was ready to go and that my breath was ready I didn't want to lose my voice vocally a lot of work mm -hmm. vocal time doing vocal work exploring what was right for me and talking to singers mm -hmm. 
because I thought, well, what about maybe like operas? What, what what's really strenuous? What people who like people who sing like eight times a week? Like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? And if you have to sing really high and loud and belt, and how do you protect the? Because yeah. I knew that was going to be a problem. And where I was placing these two women vocally, the sound for Adelaide was much higher in my register than the sound for Glow, which was much lower in my register. So <laughs> I was like, now I've got to make sure those are both equally supported. So I don't lose my voice because I was panicked that I didn't want to lose my voice. I mean, you're carrying the shell. So, I mean, you and Coleman are carrying the shell. Yeah. While jogging. I, <laughs> I tried not to think about that. So people would say that to me. I was like, I would go, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's really a four person. And I tried not to think about it too much because I think if I really thought about it, and I thought about the journey and I thought about what I had to do, it would be kind of overwhelming. So I took it in... in bites and I thought oh well this is the scene I know this is I just took it was really about being in the moment Mm -hmm. and not thinking ahead to what I had to do this mountain I had to climb it was about this scene and then the next scene and where am I going and what do I want what do I want when I it's all that classic what do I want what do I want to take out of this scene um because in the very first scene the Adelaide scene (laughs) she does a a holy dance in Harlem (laughs) church well I guess it's Philadelphia church and um that right there (laughs) I mean, to start a show with that, because the amount of energy yeah. and connection, and you're young in that scene. Yes. This woman is in her, what, 20s? or she's Yeah, she's probably in her late 20s. In yeah. her late 20s in that scene. And your physicality, you, had, you know, was so convincing. And then you still have a whole play to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. That was the first, the first 10 minutes. We all would joke, um, because Robert would always say, our director would always say, we're starting this at 12. Make no mistake, we're not starting this at 10, we're starting this at 12. This is full out, I don't want, and no holding back. So we would literally be backstage just (laughs) with water and it was crazy. But it's exactly, it's exactly what the play needed because that's what we needed to open with. So people knew the world they were going into. Mm -hmm. This is it. So it was, um, it was quite something. It was Extraordinary. Okay, and so then she does that. Then she does that. Then she becomes the aunt, <laughs> and the aunt is hysterically funny, and um, it, a whole nother different physicality. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, the aunt's physicality. Aunt Glow, um, I think, because of uh, again Coleman and I talking about it and developing her, and I had a very specific idea in my head of what she looked like. She's based on women I know and love. We know these. These are the women I went to church with, Mm -hmm. the aunties, the ones that told you to sit down and stop, you know, that weren't your mother, but you knew doggone well you'd pay attention to them because they didn't, your mother would say, what does she tell you to do? (laughs) Right. Um, So I had a very specific image of them in my head and then talking with the costume designer, Clint Ramos, and the wig and the, the, the velour jumpsuit she had on, it was very, it was the sneakers, you walk a certain way. Um... Your, your, your center of gravity is a different. She had a fanny pack on, which cha- literally changes where your center is because suddenly you've got this other thing, so you're standing differently. Um, I think that helped me find her. Um, and she's just big and loud, and she, she speaks with her hand. I speak with my hands, but she's very much, she's, her hands are just always moving. Mm-hmm. And she also took a lot of pills. Um, she, I'm not sure what the oh pills were, but she At one point, pills. she has some kind of like attack, <laughs> like 
some kind of <laughs> just she has an ang- it's an anxiety attack uh-huh. but it's full blown anxiety attack and she just needs we st- we're still not really sure what kind of pills she could take with the frequency she's taking them I think the doctor just was like here just take these they're probably placebo they're not mm-hmm. they're sugar pills yeah but she just needs to she needs her pills um so um I think that helped as well because okay she- that part of the play for me was like <laughs> an acting lesson um so because it was so physicalized mm-hmm. and it was so specific mm-hmm. and yet not stereotypic. Mm-hmm. And if you. you think of a performance, I mean, believe me, I love Tyler Perry. But if you think of like him as, I'm trying to paint it for the audience. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you think of him mm-hmm. as Medea, you're going to probably find more stereotypes, mm-hmm. although you can still enjoy it. Um, you were so truthful, but just as broad. Thanks. But uh, but and and so that's really sophisticated acting. You know what I mean? Because it was recognizable, believable, specific, and big. Thank you. I <laughs> mean, you. you took such a risk. Well, thank you. And I and I I think I took the risk because, and I'm glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. I was from the very beginning. I said I do not want this to be. Again, no disrespect to Tyler Perry. I don't want this to be Medea. Mm-hmm. I know who this woman is. That's the trap. Is to make it exactly. Medea. Mm-hmm. And with all due respect, I. I I know these women. I love these women. I want to pay tribute mm-hmm. to these women, not send them up. Right. So I, I and I think because I trusted, because I trust Coleman and because I trust Robert, I think I could go as far as I did, because I knew they would never let it. I would voice my concerns. That's not too much. This is not. We're not. We're not laughing at them. We're laughing with them. I'm, I was constantly checking in mm-hmm. and I trusted them enough and I trusted Robert's eye enough to know that he would never let me go that far I mean it was hysterical because what it was was although it was true and it could have been you were not making fun of them it made you love them it made you remember how quirky and charming mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. part of them can be yes. Yes. You know, yes. when they're being a pain in the ass right. all of a sudden your old auntie <laughs> is kind of cute yeah yeah, you know, exactly, and that's thank you, and that's yeah. exactly it. And I think, I think what that is is that it's if you play, it's if you mm. know these women. Yeah, and I think because of the hours and hours we spent talking about these women, talking about our families, talking about experiences, it was very specific. It was, it was specific. There may have been specific gestures that I took from you know mm-hmm. this sister or that sister mm-hmm. but it was generally a specific knowledge of this woman mm-hmm. um from gathered from different people but it was a it was true um and so you take this piece of truth and then you just pull it and stretch <laughs> it and just make it a little bigger and a little bigger mm-hmm. um until the balloon pops, and the balloon never quite popped, but it was it was pretty big. Oh man, that was so um, awesome! That, I, it was the greatest night I've had in a oh, theater in so you. long. I was just so blown away. Thank Every you. aspect of this production was probably at the top of New York artistry. Thank you. I mean, and it's not about money; it was about creativity. Yes. Absolutely. And, and passion. You could tell there was passion on that stage. Yes. Yes. Um, I was so impressed. So let's talk about mm-hmm. Cinderella. Oh, yes. What was it like to play Cinderella and how did you become Cinderella? It was, it's every girl's dream. I mean, it's interesting. I would, people would wait after the show and say how wonderful they thought the show was and how they enjoyed it. And, and to a person from probably age 15 to age 
literally 80. Oh, but Cinderella. Because you captured Every her essence. Little girl. Your your essence. There was a glow. <laughs> it was, I mean, the, oh, it was perfection. Oh, thank you, Roz. It was it was because it, it was again, it's it's taking something very specific. It was doing the research, it was mm -hmm. watching Cinderella, the animated Cinderella, mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And there's class because we all know what that is. There's classic, there's little moves she has, and there's the way she speaks, and the way she looks at her little birds, oh my and God. the way she twirls. And it's it's all comes down to doing your research, being as specific as no matter what you're doing, mm -hmm. being as specific as you possibly can. And then there's because there's that kernel of specificity and truth inside all of the madness. Mm -hmm. It's grounded in some sort of specificity. So I think that's. Um, and then when I saw and, and what was also equally important was that they didn't want they wanted Cinderella to be. For lack of a better word, a, not a black Cinderella, but because this was Adelaide, the, the mother sister's fantasy. Um, it should be how she imagined herself oh, as Cinderella. Wow. So she's not the storybook. She's her version of the story. It's her dream. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't have, she has blonde hair, but she has blonde hair that a black woman would have. Oh, no, it's totally believable. It's because it, it's, it wasn't about putting like <laughs> yeah. just yellow Cinderella hair no, on. No. And make, but that was very, but that was, again, the designers, the director, and Coleman being very specific about, no, this was really a gift. For little black girls who never saw themselves as Cinderella. It was like Mary J. Blige Bond yes, or it Beyonce was. Blige. That's it was right. believable. Yes. It was glamorous. Yeah. It was really, and I just thought that was the care they took with that mm. was really spent. And the care they took with that was just like the care they took with every other little moment. Was that it was again very specific and very um uh, very well thought out. Oh, so man. So tell me, what is it like? Um, after 22 years, I guess, in show mm. business, to um, get a role like this. And tell me about Scottsboro yeah. Boys to, mm -hmm. you know, the mm -hmm, yeah. one line. To, yes. <laughs> okay, it, tell us about that. It was... Um, so well, what happened in Scottsboro Boys? So Scottsboro Boys um, came to me... Um, I sort of backed my way into Scottsboro Boys. Mm -hmm. I... So Scottsboro Boys happened because I get a call from my agent saying, um, "Do you want to do? Uh, do you want to do? Do you want to do a musical?" And we both started laughing because I don't do musicals. I mean, I sing, but I am an actor who sings. Maybe if people mm -hmm. know me, um, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And he said, "No, no, seriously. Well, you you wouldn't have to sing. You, he said you wouldn't have to sing. You don't have to dance, and you only have one line." And I said, and I would want to do this, why? <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know, because it's the last Candor and Ebb. Um, Susan Stroman is directing it. Tommy Thompson, David Thompson is doing it. And I thought, and that piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, well. And because I knew there was nothing there yet, that they were still working on it. Oh, yeah. So I went in thinking, oh, whatever. And um, so I went in. And I did a Rosa Parks speech, and they offered it to me, and blah, blah, blah. So I end up in this um, musical where I don't, I'm not supposed to really do anything except close the play. Mm -hmm. Now, the lesson, there are a couple of lessons that I learned from Scottsboro Boys, which is because people would ask me all the time, why would you do something? Why would you do like a show where you only had, why would you do that after 20 years in the business? Well, 
A, what's right for me may not be right for somebody else. I tell that to everybody. Look, mm-hmm. um, what I say yes mm-hmm. to may be wrong for you. Um, it was right for me in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, because For specific reasons. Because I'd never done a musical. Because it was Stroman, Candor, and Ab. And because it was an extraordinary company of people. So I thought, yeah, this is not a bad way to spend a couple weeks. And, again, because... They, didn't, they kept saying, and I believe them, they didn't know what this character was. So I helped, what you, see, what, is, what you see as the lady in Scottsboro Boys today is what I created in that room. So that was the beginning of my path of like creating roles. And I got a little taste of that and I was like, oh, I, I like you. I like, I like this. I like creating these roles. So, and, and because Stroman was very much like, well, you know, she was very concerned with the boys and the singing and the dancing and the precision and, <coughs> excuse me, but she trusted me enough to say, whatever you come up with, you come to me. And she put in most everything that I came up with. So that was a journey, that was a very different kind of journey, and I'm very proud of it. And the plus side, of course, is I made great friends, and that's where I met Coleman. And when we were on the road with Scottsboro Boys at the Guthrie is when he started writing Wild with Happy. So tell me about the response to you coming out of the closet as having not, <laughs> not just this sophisticated, you know, Shakespearean talent, but you being really able, you can do anything you want. What, what is the, how has the industry responded to you? Well, it's, it's, it's been fantastic. I, I, um... I don't read reviews. I still haven't read all of them, but because the New York Times review was plastered all over my Facebook wall, I read that one. And I got a once-in-a-lifetime review um, in the Times, which now I understand what that means because I've never had it before, but because everybody reads it. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, that's what I'm talking about in auditions, and that's what I'm talking about in, you know, audition inside and outside of the audition room. Um... Whereas I've been doing this for a really long time, I'm noticed now, which is kind of interesting, um, in a different way. That I shouldn't say it, I'm, I'm noticed in a different way. Um, people now think I'm funny. My friends always knew I was funny. <laughs> you knew I was funny. Yeah. People yeah, after a me. few drinks on a Sunday <laughs> after brunch, <laughs> brunch, after yeah, you was hilarious. But and, exactly. Yeah. And so that's, and Coleman and I laugh about it now. It's, it's the gift he's given me because he's like, you funny as hell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but nobody ever, they're like, oh no, we love, we know Sharon, we love Sharon. Is she funny? Yes. That's what I would get, my agents would get all the time when they'd submit me. Oh, Sharon, she's fabulous. That's what Robert O'Hara, our director of Wild With Happy, said when Coleman first said he wanted me for the role. Mm-hmm. Oh God, Sharon, love her. She's fabulous. Is she funny? <laughs> so that's a running joke now. Yeah. Like every now and then I'll leave him a text going, I don't know, am I funny? <laughs> um, so, um, so that's what it's opened up. Now we'll see how that translates into work opportunities because we're just coming off of it. It's only been a month. It's the holidays. There have been a couple of pilot scripts here. And there, there have been a couple of funny scripts that I've gotten. More comedy than the you know, crying mother which we all know. Honey, you can do anything you want. They'd be fool not to not to scoop you up and put you um Well, out thank you. Front. But you know what this business is like. Mm-hmm. You're known for one specific... And I, look, and I'm very proud of being able to come in and hit my mark and do mm-hmm. my job and... 
can speak the speech. But, um, I mean, and believe me, I totally admire both, both ends of your talent. I mean, they're, they're both equal. Oh, thank you. They're I know equal. what you're saying. But, um, but it's just so funny to, after 20 years, it just feels like, and, you know, like you've been holding it back or something. <laughs> like, you've been keeping it from us. Because I would describe Sharon as like a porcelain, a great porcelain statue, Ooh. you know, that, that, that had to be, you know, taken care of. Ooh. Not one that would sweat and dance and jump around and wear a fanny pack and, you know. You know, mm. <laughs> and a leopard velour jumpsuit. Oh yeah, and just oh yeah, yeah. No, it was. I mean, being a that's. I mean, that is the ultimate gift, and why it was the role of a lifetime is because you, as an actor, that's what you want. You want to be able to use all of you, and not some of you, and um, to get the opportunity to push it like that, and to know that people have never seen you like that is just awesome. So it was like standing ovations every night. It was. It was. Wow. That was a that show was just it's so special to be in New York and to be in that have that experience. It's a universal show. It is. It's told exactly. through a very specific experience of, you know, this particularly gay man's mm -hmm. forty plus whatever mm -hmm. age he is, mm -hmm. gay man's mother's death. But we all, you know, will have to, you know, unless we go first, have to right. deal with that. And so all of the core was, you know, it was, was all the same, it was universal. I mean, people, as, as I said, people would stay afterwards, and um, it would be just a, ra a range of hues of people. There would be older white women who were coming up to me going, oh my God, you were my Aunt Tilly, you just, <laughs> right, the jumpsuit and the thing, only her hair, she was. After doing this show, and having had this experience from Scottsboro Boys, where you had one line to, you know, this tour de force, bring down the house, you know, this mm -hmm. show should tour the world, only I think you'll be doing movies and television, and you won't be able to, but to have defined a role like this, what have you learned? Hmm, that's a good question. What have I learned? Um, hmm. I've learned to trust my instincts um, about work, about choices, about people. Mm. I've learned to um, go with my heart and my gut on things more than I used to, to listen to that little voice that says, mm, this is something special. I mean, I knew from the moment I read one monologue that Coleman handed me in Minneapolis, that this was special. I also knew that was Scottsboro Boys. I mean, I knew in that room that this was special. So what I've learned is to, that I, I do have in, as actors, we have um, this sense about our work and about what's right and that we don't listen to it enough and we don't yeah. trust it and we second guess ourselves. And I think I've learned to Listen to that voice. Okay. I need to talk about the fact that Coleman Domingo oh. mm -hmm. has been capturing images of you. Yes. That are none like we've ever seen. Yes. Talk. Okay, so Sharon is, a, is certainly a classical actress mm -hmm. with a beautiful classical look and headshots accordingly so. Mm -hmm. Very neat and clean. Yes. Very acceptable. Yes. Now, what has Coleman done to you? Coleman Domingo has come into my life and turned it upside down. <laughs> 
for the better. Um, <laughs> Coleman, um, I've learned a lot from Coleman in the last couple of years, and I mm-hmm. wish I had learned some of what I've learned from him earlier in my career. Um, and just about the business, about branding, about branding yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell us, what did you learn from Coleman about branding yourself? Um, that you, you need to look like where you want to go. Honey, she has judged it up. So I never saw so much tart on Miss Sharon Washington. And some hair. Hair. But it's beautiful. Well, thank you. It's, it's beautiful. But you know, but you have to be in the right place to pull that off. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not feeling that inside, right. you can't feel that outside. Mm-hmm. I think it goes hand in hand with mm-hmm. where I've come in the past couple of years. Um, where I am as a woman, yeah. where I am as an actress. Uh, where I am at being able to accept my body of work um, and being proud of that and that I have been in this business for over 20 years and that I'm really proud of the work I've done. Looking back, I'm like, wow, I've done some really cool stuff. I've done some really great work. So now I can start to shine with that on the outside as opposed to sort of going, no, I'm just kind of, no, it's what I do. Because I think I came from the school and I, I think this is, it's not a bad thing, but I came from the school of you do your work. It's not a big, it's not a, this is what I do. I, I should be good at this. There's no reason for me to go and say how when and how hard the process was and blah, blah, blah. There's this great, I'm sure you've read it on Facebook, this Arthur Penn um, rant about he doesn't want to hear um, anymore about an actor's process and about <laughs> to people going on and on about what they had to do about to, to get right. where they were. Right. And I think I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. And now that's so. So I take that and I do good work. But the other side of that is, but you want to keep con- doing good work and you want people to know about it. So the only way people know about it is you got to toot your horn a little bit. I feel like he shined a bright light on you and it's like, and even though we've all, it's, it's talent, good work, whatever, the glam, the self-possession, it's like Viola Davis. It's like, yes. you know, it's like becoming a star. It's like because that, it's, you have crossed over where there's, a, it, it looks different now. Yeah, I, I, and I, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say that again, that I think it happened hand in hand. And I, I don't think, because I don't think you can fake it. I think it looks false. I mean, you can, you can, you can always, you just try to present your best self and you have to believe in your best self. And I think earlier on, I believed but believed it, but not to this extent. Um, so yeah, because even though you you might be wearing fake hair or whatever um, in some of those pictures, but you are the most. This is the most beautiful woman because when a woman is like Sophia Loren, when a woman accepts herself, yes, her body, her face, her hair, no matter what it, no, it, doesn't, right. it doesn't matter what it is. That's exactly right. It is the acceptance and celebration of who I am that we're getting, and you know, even though mm-hmm. I've been great. Yes. This is something special about this light. Thank you. Yes, and I, to- I agree. I agree. And, I, and, I, and that's why I say I wish I could have cultivated it a little earlier, earlier on in my career, and taken some of the quote-unquote breaks that I was given earlier on and made a little bit more out of it. Yes, you were very humble. Um, very, so, very humble. So here you are, you know, working with Denzel, doing a great job. Right. But you never showed off. Right. That's exactly right. You know, you never took a you never took an extra headshot. You never exactly. You never sought press extra, exactly. extra, extra. You know. Now that's two years out of drama school, where 
where now I feel like I would go to a drama school now and tell people, this is what you need to do. Whether you feel like this is, there should be a whole other section on, you know, it, conservatory, whether you take classes in New York, what, whatever you do, there should be a whole section on branding and business. And it's just, it's just part of what this world is. And I think, I just didn't, it, I didn't get it. I, it wasn't taught. I didn't get it. And I didn't have a coach to tell me, this is what you need to do. I didn't have a manager to say, oh, well, you need to, we need to call some people in and you need to do a couple of interviews. You and Denzel, or you. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it's, I'm sort of amazed that I got where I was without that. So part of me thinks, wow, I wish, but, you, you know, you can't, that would have been a whole different journey, journey a whole right. different thing. So it's, it's hard to look back and say what I should have done. Although there was things I should have done, um, that I would have done better, that I could have done better. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm going to make up for it now. Honey, I thank you so much for this interview. <laughs> you answered my question because my last question was, what would you tell young people mm. coming into the industry? And you just answered that. Uh, um, but you can say it again if you want. Oh. I mean, like, what would you tell people? Um, what did I say? No. <laughs> well, what, well, first you talked about training, right? right. So you talked about getting training, uh, however you do it. Right. And then you talked about the sort of aspirational embracing oh, right, right, the right, brand. Right, right. Right. So what, what yeah. you know, it's yeah, like, no, don't shy away from that, if right. you will. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I would tell young people not to shy away from embracing the brand, especially these days where you're competing so much more with personalities and the entertainment business. And it's not, we know wonderful actors who just couldn't compete, who just can't compete. It's not, a, it really isn't about the talent. You just, let's just assume everybody's talented. Mm -hmm. And so that's not to say you don't do your best to improve your talents right. and make sure you're solid when you go in the room. But embrace your brand. Embrace who you are. Find out what makes you special. And don't be afraid to shine. And live that and be that and live in that and be proud of that. Honey, you see this lady walking down. She's shining <laughs> like new money. <laughs> it's wonderful. She's sick, but she's beautiful. Oh, thank you. And um, uh, I guess I just want to thank you so thank much. You. Tell us how people out there can find out more about you. I love the new design on the website. Oh, Tell them about you. it. <laughs> yes, my website is SharonWashington.com. Mm -hmm. You can go there, and I'm going to try to make sure that's as updated as possible. I also am on Twitter these days. At Sharon Wash Actor. So you and can, she's very um, active in the SAG Union. Yes, I am. I'm on the National Board of Directors for SAG-AFTRA. And um, so we're doing some good work there. But, um, but yeah, if you follow me on, on Twitter and on uh, my website, I try to post what, what's next. Because, you know, now I'm looking for my next gig, like all of us are. Honey. They better watch out. That's all I know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Honey. Happy holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah.